you think about the Bible, how it records the gospel going into many places, it went into places where there were people who had been reared as Jews. For many of them, they had accepted the scriptures of the Old Testament. However, the gospel sometimes went to places where people neither accepted the Old Testament scriptures nor much of what the scriptures would say about the God of heaven. And yet, to those same people, Paul would preach that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. As you think about the preaching of the gospel and trying to turn a person from an unbeliever into a believer, there are several steps that are involved. The first one is belief in God. You have to establish in people's minds that there is a higher power to which they must give an account. We did that a few weeks ago as we talked about the proofs for the existence of God. Then a person must take one to a belief in and an acceptance of the Bible as the Word of God. Because if you will not accept the Bible, it's very hard to go beyond that. There are many proofs that one could use to show that the Bible is the very words of God and that it is inerrant, infallible, and as we would emphasize, inspired of God. The third step along the way is to emphasize belief in God's Son. After you emphasize, as Paul did when he wrote or spoke to the Athenians, that God who made the heavens and the earth does not dwell in temples made with hands as though he needed anything. But he gave to all life and breath and all things. And then he's going to move and talk about the times of this ignorance God once overlooked, but now commands all men to repent. And then he moves immediately to that man whom he has ordained. And he has given assurance to all men in that he has raised him from the dead. Believing that Jesus is the Christ. There will be one more step beyond this and that is to be born into God's family. What it means to be a part of the one true church and how one becomes a part of it. This part of our lesson really makes me think of number 740 in our songbook. The question is asked, what will you do with Jesus, my friend? What will you do? The song goes on to say, neutral you cannot be. You must have some view of Jesus, of the various views that people might have. Some look at him as nothing more than a legend. Someone who existed in the path, who has become larger than life, who is really more about what is said about him. You think about some people in, for instance, in our current lifetimes and even the lifetime of our country. Some men like George Washington and Benjamin Franklin have almost become legends even larger than life. As you read Mark 1 and verse 28, immediately his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee as if he somehow had this larger than life proportion. And some people really believe that's what Jesus was, was someone larger than life. 
There are others, though, who believe that he was a deceiver, that he was a liar, that what he said was not true. In John 7 and verse 12 we read, And there was much complaining among the people concerning him. Some said he is good. Others said no, on the contrary, he deceives the people. To say someone is a deceiver is to say that he is a liar. And there were people saying that about Jesus. A third choice is that he is somehow mentally deranged. That he is, to use the term, a lunatic. In John chapter 10, verses 20 and 21, And many of them said, He has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? There are many reasons why for one purpose or another people were deforming these views about Christ. But there's a fourth option, the correct one, and that is Jesus is Lord. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 36, Peter had begun a sermon back in verse 17 and he had preached all the way through that lesson Till he came to verse 36 and he says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Christ. Who is he? Is he a legend? Is he a liar? Is he a lunatic? Or is he of the Lord? You see, those are the views that people had of him. But in Jesus' day, there were good and honest people who wanted to see Jesus, who wanted to evaluate him themselves. They didn't want somebody else to come to you and say, now this is what you have to believe about him. There's always people in this life on any given subject, whether it's on politics or some social issue, they want to tell you what you ought to believe rather than you investigating it yourself. In John chapter 12, verses 20 through 22, now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn, Andrew came and Philip came and told Jesus. What you find is there are people like these Greeks who are there, they're evidently people of a religious nature or they wouldn't be coming to the feast. They said, we want to see Jesus. We want to see ourselves, who he is and what he is. You do remember about this little man by the name of Zacchaeus, John chapter 19, verses 2 through 4. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was. But he could not because of the crowd and because he was a short stature. So he ran ahead, climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him for he was going to pass that way. He not only wanted to see him physically to see what does he look like, but he wanted to see is this man everything that he claims to be. The scriptures furnish us with the ability to see Jesus today. That passage that was read to us just a few moments ago from John chapter 20 gives us like a book reading. 
And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life in his name. Those things recorded in the Bible are so you and I can believe that he is the Son of God. How would I prove to someone that the Jesus that is recorded in the Bible is the Son of God? Well, I'd suggest to you there are three proofs that if all of them are proven to be true, would be such that it's impossible that he could not be the Son of God. Number one, did he fulfill the prophecy? All those wonderful things that the prophets of old said about him, did he fulfill them in detail? Number two, what about the miracles that he performed? When Jesus did great mighty works, did that speak anything about who he was? And then number three, the resurrection from the dead. The real clincher in the issue. Let's begin, first of all, with the idea of fulfilled prophecy. When Jesus was challenged to prove that he was a son of God, he appealed to prophecy. Notice John 5, verse 39. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. As you and I open that Bible and we begin to read all those prophets of the Old Testament, flipping through those pages, reading those prophecies, Jesus said, that's what is speaking about me. There's some sermons that you would love to have heard. I can't tell you how much I would like to have sat down on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee and heard Jesus deliver the Sermon on the Mount. But there's another sermon that I really think that as a preacher I would love to have heard. That's the one found in Luke 24, verses 25 through 27. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter his glory? Now listen to verse 27. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets... He expounded to them in the scriptures and all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Can you imagine going all the way back to Genesis chapter 3? Going all the way through the end of the book of Malachi and Jesus saying, okay, here's how I fulfill this prophecy. Here's how I fulfill this prophecy. Here's how I fulfill this prophecy. There are so many there's no way for us in a lesson like this to deal with them. There are over 300 direct and precise prophecies with regards to the coming of Christ. But we can look at some. Let me give you just a few of them. In Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, Ahaz is the new ruler. And God asks him or tells him to ask for a sign. And he says, no, 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 I'm not going to ask for a sign. And so God responds by saying, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. You see, there's something unique about a woman who is a virgin conceiving a child. She's known no man. 
Mary did that. Matthew 1 and verse 23, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Second prophecy was where Jesus was to be born. In Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, Micah writes, But you, Bethlehem, Ephratah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from old, from everlasting. There is a prophecy to the people of Judah particularly the people of Bethlehem, that there's going to be a prophet arise out of them. Not just any prophet, though. One whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. One who is eternal. And you come to Matthew 2, verses 4 and 5. Herod has wondered, where will this child be born of which these wise men have spoken And he gathered together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together. And he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. You know, you start looking at these prophecies lining up one by one. Let me give you one more. The triumphal entry. If you go to Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9, he says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation. Lowly, riding on a donkey. A colt, the foal of a donkey. You see, it is prophesied when he comes in, he's not going to be riding on a steed. It's going to be riding on a colt, the foal of a donkey. When I come to the New Testament, to Luke 19, verse 35 through 37, they brought him to Jesus and they threw their own clothes on the colt and they set Jesus on him. And as he went, they spread their clothes on the road. Then as he was now drawing near to the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and to praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. Here is Jesus coming in just exactly as Zechariah had spoken. Now multiply that times 100 and you have the picture of the Old Testament prophecies with regards to Jesus. There are numerous prophecies that would be easy for one to check. If Jesus had not fulfilled a prophecy, do you not believe that his enemies would have pointed that out? Here's all these people who want to create problems for him. You have those chief priests, those scribes, who want to kill him. It would have been much better to have discredited him by saying, see, here's a prophecy. You didn't fulfill it. I like the way John 8, 46 reads. Jesus said, which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? He exposes himself. Which one of you convicts me of sin? Not a one could answer that question. Number two, miracles. Now, people call a lot of things miracles. When children are born, people say, oh, there's the miracle of childbirth. 
No, that's not a miracle. That's the natural orders of creation that God put in this world. Miracles are when God supersede or suspend the known laws that he has put in force. That becomes irrefutable proof that Jesus was the Christ. Let me give you an example or two. And Peter's preaching his sermon in Acts chapter 2, and as he is going through the various proofs for Jesus being the Son of God, he comes down to verse 22 and says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. These people had seen Jesus work the miracles. In fact, there's one that we're going to make reference to in just a moment that was so remarkable that people actually came to see the proof of it. John 3 and verse 2, Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, an important man. Jesus came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. These are no ordinary things that are special. These are things that cannot be faked. Hebrews 2.4 says, God also bearing witness, both with signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. God showed that he was the Son of God. But what about fakes? What about tricks? We know there were frauds. There were people who gave out that they were some great powerful person. You all know about Acts chapter 8, about Simon the sorcerer. And Acts 8 verse 9, but there was a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great. When Peter and John arrived, he recognized, this is beyond me. In fact, this is so special. Let me give you some money so that I can buy this power upon whomever I lay my hands they may be able to do these works. Simon, you don't understand. Your money perish with you because you have thought the gift of God could be purchased with money. This is not a fake. This is not a show. This is proof. How much of a proof do you need? In John chapter 9, here's a man who was born blind who has been healed. And when you get down to verse 18, the Jews are putting a lot of pressure to try to say this man is a fake and a fraud. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received sight until they called his parents or the parents of him who had received his sight and they asked him, them saying, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he see? His parents answered and said, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. This is not a fake. This is something they can't deal with. This is proof. The one I like to refer to, the one I was mentioning earlier, 
John chapter 11 and verse 39, and you go to chapter 12 and verse 9, there's a man who passed away. He had been sick, back sick unto death. His name was Lazarus. Jesus was not even there. As Jesus arrives, both Martha and Mary go out to greet Jesus, and they both say to him, Lord, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. But he is dead. He's been dead for four days. In fact, the text says, by now his body stinks. The decomposition had already begun. Look at John eleven thirty nine. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there's a stench, for he's been dead for four days. You know he told him to come forth. Lazarus came forth. Come to chapter 12. Now a great many of the Jews knew that he was there. And they came, not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. Can you imagine? Let's see this man. Let's look at Lazarus. Here he is. He's alive. You talk about working miracles that cannot be denied. You can't deny when a man's been dead for four days. And his body's been again to decompose that this is the Christ. Real miracles cannot be denied. Acts 4 and verse 16, and those people criticizing the apostles says, What should we do to these men? For indeed that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. We've got to do something else because the evidence is stacked against us. Well, the third aspect of the proof of Jesus is the resurrection of the dead. In fact, this is the strongest proof that the apostles offered that Jesus was bodily resurrected. In Romans 1, verses 3 and 4, here's the way Paul put it to the Romans. Concerning the Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. You know now He is the Son of God because He did exactly what He said He would do. He said, you destroy this body in three days, I'll raise it back up. 1 Corinthians 15 makes this indisputable. Listen as Paul writes to the Corinthians. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried and the third day rose again according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. Now listen carefully to verse 6. And after that He was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, some have fallen to sleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. And then last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. Someone said, well, maybe Peter was confused. Maybe through the excitement, Peter thought that he just caught a glimpse of the Lord. No. All 12 of those men saw him. They all believed it to the point they were willing to give their lives for it. People won't die for a lie. And you have the 
hundred brethren who saw him at one time. In Acts 10, verses 34 through, or 38 through 40, as Peter preaches to the household of Cornelius, how that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all these things, which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly. This is something you cannot deny. It wasn't done in a corner, in fact. That's the way Paul put it when he was reasoning with Agrippa and Festus in Acts chapter 26. I mentioned earlier in the lesson, Acts 17. In verse 31, because he is appointed a day in which he will judge the world with righteousness by the man whom he has ordained, he has given assurance to all that he, by raising him from the dead. That's the way God has given assurance that there will be a great judgment day. See, honest people will come to no other conclusion but that Jesus was and is the Son of God. I like the way the account in Mark puts it. There's a centurion who's standing at the foot of the cross. He is going to see Jesus die. He's going to observe the whole spectrum. And here's what he said. So when the centurion who stood opposite him saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. Honest people, when we're trying to battle for the minds of men, you show them three things. You show them how Jesus fulfilled prophecy. You show them how he worked miracles. And you talk about the empty tomb, how that he was raised from the dead. Tonight, we're not asking you to believe in any man. We're asking you to believe in the Son of God. We're asking you to believe in Him because the evidence proves it, not because we say it. We want to encourage you to respond to that faith by repenting of your sins, being willing to acknowledge your faith to others, and be baptized for the remission of your sins. If everybody just believed that Jesus was the Christ, fully believed, would they not respond? Tonight, if you need to become a Christian or as a child of God to be restored, would you come as we stand and sing?